Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Hello, and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I am a certified financial planner practitioner, and this is a show for you to help you understand your money, to help you understand the stock market and what it's doing, to help you stay up to date with legislation concerning your money, to look at different financial planning topics, explain them, help you understand why they're important, and then finally to answer your questions. You can submit questions to me on my website, PeggyDoviak.com. That's P-E-G-G-Y-D-O-V-I-A-K.com. And then click the contact tab and you can submit a question there. Or you can go to my Facebook page, which is Ask Peggy, and submit a question there. So let's get started today with the Bulls and Bears Market and Economic Update. Now, this is for the week ending November 2nd, 2018. I also thought, given the volatility that the market's been having recently, it might be nice to put the week into the context of a 30-day period. So it's not a calendar month. It's just the preceding 30 days to help you see how the market's been doing. Last week, the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed 2.36% higher. Over the last month, including that week, it's actually down 4.45%. So we had a good week, but we're still down for the last 30 days of 4.45%. The S&P 500 looks a lot like the Dow. It closed 2.42% higher last week, but it's down 5.63% over the last 30 days. The NASDAQ was on track with with the other indices, up 2.65%, but for the month down 5.54%. Even though we've had a major correction, basically during the month of October, and we're down for the last 30 days, all those indices are actually still up year to date. So even though October was bad for the market, we still do have positive returns for the course of the year. Not as good as they were, but it's still at least a green year so far. Now, gold closed down just a tiny bit last week of 0.06%. For the month, it's up 2.3%, which is not really a surprise given what the stock market was doing. But over the course of the year, gold is down 7.11% year to date. So with all of this volatility, the fact that the market is still up for the year Gold is down quite significantly for the year, 7% down. It's not a horrible decline, but it's certainly not a great rate of return. Oil had a really bad week. It closed down a little over 7%. For the last 30 days, it's down 15%, but for the year, it's up 8.64% which is the best performing asset class of everything. Um, Oil has done very well in 2018, and it's still up 8.6%, even though it dropped 15% last month. 
So what's going on? Why is this happening? And you know, I'm always reading, and I know that sometimes when I tell you what I think it is, it doesn't change week to week. That's probably a good thing. You really probably don't want me all over the map. But this whole issue with are we or are we not going to have a trade war with China just messes with the market's mind. And there was an article this week in Market Watch, MarketWatch.com, talking about the impact of the Chinese tariffs. And really, one of the problems is on one day we there's an announcement that we've got a deal, and then the next day we don't really have a deal. So just last week on Monday, President Trump said that he thought there was going to be a great deal with China. And then later, um, Larry Kudlow, who is um, Donald Trump's top, top economic advisor, he said that nothing was set in stone. Then Bloomberg said that they thought there was about to be a deal. CNBC said that Bloomberg was wrong, there wasn't going to be a deal. So here's the really short version absolutely nobody knows right now. And it'll be interesting to see if some of this sort of schizophrenic back and forth slows down a little bit after the midterms. I'm, I'm hoping that we're in a real silly season right now with the run-up to the elections. And then once that's in the rearview mirror, hopefully people will regain a little bit of sense. We can get a path that we can chart for more than one day at a time. In the meantime, I'm watching everything. And if you haven't registered to, or, not, or gone to vote yet, you need to go vote tomorrow. I'm taping this on Monday. Elections are Tuesday. So go vote. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and it's time for the legislative update. And we've got really, really big news in today's legislative update. Now, I include the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act as part of that, and the IRS had to issue some clarification of how they were going to handle a piece of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that's caused a lot of business owners and people who do a lot of business over meals quite a bit of trouble the way the law was being interpreted prior to some IRS clarification. Specifically, under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that passed last December, people were no longer allowed to deduct business meals for any purpose at all. So the business meal tax deduction went away the way it looked like the law was written. Well, the IRS did some guidance and provided some clarification. And so basically now it looks like people will be able to continue to deduct 50% of the food and beverage expenses associated with operating their trade or business. Now that's, that's really, really legal language. But what it means is that the entertainment deduction is still gone but the food is seen no longer as being entertainment. That's how they got away with it. 
because the entertainment deduction, the way it was originally written was very broad and everyone just assumed that the food was included because it really kind of looked like it was. But the IRS is saying, no, food in and of itself is not part of the entertainment. So there's some guidelines and some rules that I want to share with you. And I also really want to suggest that you talk to your CPA about this. Um, If you're not working with a CPA and you have a small business, you probably want to consider doing that. But certainly you need to read more because this is brand new. And I want to be sure that everything shakes out the way right now. It looks pretty confidently like it's going to. So... The expense has to be ordinary and necessary, and it has to have occurred during the year of the tax return. So you can't go back and deduct a meal you took in a previous year, and the meal has to be ordinary and necessary. And it cannot be lavish or extravagant. Now, this is where it gets a little weird, because there's no sense that if you're having a business lunch that you're going to the nearest fast food drive-in window to have it. At the same time, just because this deduction is back, personally, I wouldn't take it as the opportunity to purchase something you would never, ever purchase if you were paying for it yourself. That's kind of my own personal definition of what lavish or extravagant is. So if I would never buy a $300 bottle of wine for myself, which I wouldn't, then I'm not going to buy it if it's a business meal. I am going to eat and drink and carry myself as I would if I were paying the bill. Now, I like nice food and I like nice restaurants, so there's nothing wrong with that. But, but don't just go crazy over the top because the IRS might look sideways at it. The taxpayer or the employee of the taxpayer is there. So in other words, you can't go out and pay for somebody's random meal. It either needs to be a meal that you are eating or you have an employee eating in order to be able to take the business deduction. It needs to be a current or potential customer, client, consultant, or business contact. So this means that this is either someone you're doing business with right now, or it's someone you're trying to do business with. So this really opens it up much more broadly, where most people's business meal deductions fall under these categories. It's really very helpful to them to be able to not have to have the business pay all of that out of pocket. Now, if you have an entertainment event and it includes food, you have to purchase it separately as the employer in order to be able to deduct it. So in other words, you can't do a combo package and pay, say, a stadium X amount of money, and that includes tickets and, and beers and hot dogs. You have to have two different bills. You'd have to have the ticket bill, and then you'd have to have the beers and hot dogs bill. The beers and hot dogs bill is probably going to be deductible, but the tickets are not because, remember, entertainment still isn't covered. And the IRS specifically said you cannot create exorbitantly high food bills so that you're actually paying for the entertainment through the back door. 
So if the football ticket, say, costs $200 and the meal costs $10, you can't suddenly say that the meal costs $200 and the ticket costs $10 because the IRS is going to know that that's simply not true, so you don't want to go there. So for business owners, small business owners, this is a really good deduction that's available. Now, here's where it becomes a little bit tricky. If you are the employee of a business, remember that you used to be able to take any expenses that your employer didn't cover and take them off the back of your um, 1040 form as unreimbursed business expense. That deduction is still gone. So if you're a rank and file employee, then you don't have a vehicle or a mechanism within your tax return to be able to deduct these costs yet because that that whole category of deductions went away under the 2% miscellaneous deductions elimination. Whole bunch of stuff went away in that. So if you're just the employee, it doesn't help. But if you are the employer, it is great. And if you're an employee of a small business, it's much more likely that the purse strings just freed back up again. So it'll be easier for you to do your job because the employer knows that they can take the deduction. So, you know, talk to your CPA, keep up with these details. Honestly, I'd be shocked if this changes again. I really don't see this deduction going back away. I don't know if they're ever going to put the 2% miscellaneous deductions back in or not. I, it appears to be something they were pretty excited about eliminating for all of us. But no doubt we'll watch the space. The IRS is beginning to get their head wrapped around the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act legislation because it was huge. And they're trying to go in and fix the unintended consequences, repair it so that businesses really do have a fair shake as they try to do business. So that's really the big, big news. There is a second piece of news, though, that's somewhat interesting in that the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, is looking at clarifying the definition of an exchange-traded fund. Remember, exchange-traded funds are really, really popular right now, and I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of them for a lot of reasons. But they have gotten really odd in a lot of ways that they're currently being created so that you can have the typical ETF that tracks the S&P 500, and that's great. But then they're doing versions of ETFs that are leveraged, so the market goes up and your fund goes down, or better yet, the market goes down and your fund goes up so that you're hedging yourself a little bit. They're tracking things like volatility. They're doing, they're tracking things that the original concept of the exchange traded fund, it's a really great basic index fund. It allows you direct participation in the market. It trades on an exchange. ETFs have gotten much more complicated than that. And so the SEC is saying, you know what, we want to clarify this out. We don't want just anything to be able to call itself an ETF. So instead, they're going to shore up and you would have to call yourself an exchange-traded note, an ETN, if the um, investment is actually funded through debt rather than direct security ownership. 
They're also calling them ETCs, which are exchange-traded commodities or exchange-traded instruments, ETIs. Now, I don't want to go so far into the weeds that your eyes glaze over because I know you're probably in your car or you're listening to this. You don't want to take notes. But what I am going to say is it's very important that you understand the potential risks of investments that you make. And so by clarifying between the exchange-traded fund, the exchange-traded note, the exchange-traded commodity, and the exchange-traded investment, it's going to be easier for the consumer to dig a little bit deeper, find the difference in what they own, look for the risks, make sure they understand it. If it's using leverage, be sure you understand what that means and make better, more informed portfolio decisions. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity section of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today, I want to talk a little bit about income tax with you. You know what income tax is. It's the tax that you pay on the money that you earn. But what some people get confused about is the difference between income tax and capital gains tax or estate tax or gift tax. So income tax is literally tax on earned income or income that has been earned by someone at some point in time. So when you take a distribution from your individual retirement account, your IRA, that you paid for in pre-tax dollars, remember you would have normally paid income tax on that money when you got it. But instead, the IRS lets you put it back and defer it, so now you have to pay income tax on it after you start taking distributions. This is why when money is inherited, and you get a step up in basis on most assets for the person who's inherited the money, you don't get that step up in basis on inherited retirement accounts because on everything else, the tax was paid by the person who died already. But on the individual retirement accounts or 401ks or maybe some form of an annuity that was funded in pre-tax dollars, that income tax was never paid by the first person because it's still in the account. As a result, the person who inherits it has to pay the income tax. That's not gift tax. It's not estate tax. Those are two very different kinds of taxes. It's just income tax because it had never been paid before. Additionally, investments will either have income tax put on them or they'll have capital gains tax assessed to them. Now, it has everything to do with where the investments are held. So if it's in a retirement account, like what we just said, then when you take the money out of the account, you pay income tax. But if you have investments in an IRA and you sell the investment inside the IRA, 
and you don't take a distribution, there's no tax due at all because this is just a lump sum of money that you don't pay tax on until you take distributions. If you open an investment account and you fund it with after-tax dollars, just plain old normal dollars, and then you sell a position, you, you buy a security, and then you sell it, then you will pay capital gains tax on that. Now, if you're in very low tax brackets, you might not owe any capital gains, and it is absolutely worth talking to your financial advisor and your CPA to make sure that if you're not making a lot of money and you need to sell an investment, do you owe capital gains tax on it or not? Really important to keep up with because it might make a difference in an investment decision that you made. For most people, they owe 15%, it's a flat tax, on any investment that they sell. So that's all the capital gains treatment. So how is income tax calculated? You want to think of income tax as a series of buckets. And you fill the bucket associated with that tax bracket with however much money that bucket will hold. So for instance, right now under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, if you are married filing jointly, you can put up to $19,000 in your 10% bucket. You can then put more money in at your 12% bucket. And then there's a big jump up to a 22% bucket, and then we go up from there. So when you have an income tax bracket that you refer to, you usually are referring to your nominal tax bracket. Your nominal tax bracket is the last bucket you filled, and that's the rate that you'll pay for any additional money that you've earned. But when you're trying to figure out how much money you'll lose to taxes, you don't want to take the entire amount that you earned and multiply it by your highest tax bracket because your actual overall bracket will be significantly lower than that because you've gotten to fill the 10% bracket and the 12% bracket before you even got to the brackets that are in the 20s. And there's still some brackets in the 30s. So your nominal bracket is the tax rate of the last dollar. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more in the next Ask Peggy section. But one of the things I'd encourage you to do right now if you're trying to make decisions about how to handle income, because maybe you're trying to decide whether or not you want to convert a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA this year, and maybe how much money you might want to do in that conversion. I would do that conversion decision looking at the tax bracket table and how much money you think you're going to earn this year. So try to place yourself inside of the tax bracket table and see how much room you have until you jump to the next tax bracket. And how big is that jump? 
Because, you know, 10% to 12% isn't that big of a deal. 22 to 24% isn't that big de- that much of a big deal. But 12 to 22 is a really big jump. So you need to look at it. And as you're trying to decide what you might want to do, my idea is it makes a lot of sense to look at it within the element of what tax bracket you're in. So when you're married, you have options on your filing status. When you're single, you typically file single. Or if you um, have become widowed during the year, you can continue to use that tax bracket. If you have children, you can take a head of household bracket. But when you're married, um, generally the single brackets are easy. When you're married, it gets confusing because there's both married filing jointly and married filing separately. And I get a lot of questions about why am I not filing separately so that my spouse files a return and I file a return. And since we have less money, we'll be in a lower tax bracket, right? And we'll pay less money in taxes. The problem with a married filing separately choice is you lose practically every other deduction you would have had had you chosen married filing jointly. The IRS understands that you're going to lower your tax bracket by choosing married filing separately. And there are many wrinkles where you suddenly would have normally had something that was deductible and now it isn't. So you need to be careful with that. Don't just rush off into a married filing separately and think you've saved money. You know, this is, again, a great conversation to have with your CPA or your financial planner. If you insist on doing your taxes yourself, then you probably ought to do them three times, um, married filing separately for both of you and then married filing jointly for one of you. But really consult with a professional on this because people get nailed in unexpected ways that they're not anticipating. Now, a couple of things in your taxes have changed after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. First of all, there's no longer the exemption that you get to take for everyone in your house, including your dependents. So remember, you used to have one for you and your spouse and each of the kids, and that came off the top. That's gone. It no longer exists. Now, they did double the standard deduction. So when you hear people talking about it, they're like, oh, but we doubled the standard deduction. But if you have two kids, you pretty much were already um, right at even or maybe even a little bit behind where you were before. Because you've lost the deduction, then, well, you haven't lost the deduction, but you have a standard deduction so high that itemizing deductions becomes very tricky. It's very hard to actually make enough in your itemized deductions to offset the standard deductions. So think in terms of charitable giving, and you might want to do some doubling up, because I'm really worried that charities are going to get hurt by this. You might want to double up, and then you would do the itemized deduction one year and the standard deduction the next. But really do some very careful planning around your deductions so that you're able to maximize everything and do the good work that you wanted to do. So that's it on taxes. And I think if you keep this all in mind, it'll be a lot easier for you to do your taxes without as much pain. 
Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And I can't believe how late I ran, so I'm going to run through some really important things to remember before the end of the calendar year. The question was, Peggy, what do I need to do with my money before the end of the year? So this is really an overview. But remember, if you are 70 and a half or you've inherited pre-tax investment assets, you have to take your RMD by the end of the year or you have a 50% penalty. If medical bills, if they're greater than 7.5% of your adjusted gross income, would be deductible. So if you can schedule something to meet that amount of money, you should try to do it now. Have a great week, and I will see you next time when we look at more issues about your money. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.